to back in my play this is episode number 97 for this episode we're going to be going portable with the legend of zelda Link's awakening my name is kevin larrabee and i got two people along with me for this adventure both coming from the player one podcast and of course greg seward is also part of generation 16 for the retro fans out there so greg i'll say how do you first how you doing good thanks for having me on and uh i know it has been months in the making. I think, CJ, you and I talked about doing this game like probably six months ago, and then you played through it six months ago. <laughs> so uh, thank you for your patience. But at least we made the goal of getting it done before Breath of the Wild came out. CJ, welcome back. Just barely. Just barely. I think it was more like a year, actually. Maybe. Yeah, we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to go look at, the, look at the emails. We'll have to see if we can get some Russians to check out the emails and see if they're uh, accurate. That's right. Hey, it's uh, current current news, folks. So uh, the great thing about this episode is uh, we're going to be talking about another Legend of the Zelda Legend of Zelda game. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about is a couple things pertinent to the audience. Uh, first off, just in regards to this show, the 30th anniversary Legend of Zelda concert CD set is now available on Amazon Japan. So if you weren't luck as lucky as people like CJ and Josh to go and check out this concert live, you can now get the two-disc set from Amazon Japan. And it is really fantastic. I I almost wanted to say that I was jealous of you, uh, CJ and, and Josh, for seeing this live, but I just am not a live concert person. I like just having this, and I can put on my headphones, and then I can listen to it uh, whenever I want. And it was also recorded in Japan, so the audience is incredibly polite. Like they wait, <laughs> like a solid five or ten seconds after the song is over before they start clapping. Uh, so it's just a super clean recording. You don't hear anyone in the crowd. Uh, it's just really, really cool. You should but go. for the full experience, you have to have cosplayers next to you. Oh I, God! Well, I yeah. think it's. I think it's one of those things where, uh, like, I'd rather just not be around people. I'd rather just listen to the music, like, by myself. <laughs> That's in a my general dark rule room. of thumb for me. Yeah, yeah I figured yeah. Greg would be on the same page, but uh, I don't know. It's it's really cool. You should go and and check it out. For a programming note, uh, of course, last episode we had a great discussion on the cool video game competitions of the '90s and also their corresponding unique carts that went along with those competitions. We will be following up on that episode very soon with Steve Lynn and Peter Brown. Again, it's just trying to get everyone organized so we can do that next piece. But we actually have quite a few games from the 90s, like the Star Fox competition, Donkey Kong Country, Rock the Rock, Greg. Mm -hmm. You got to play some, was it Sonic 3? I believe so. Yeah, Sonic 3. Alcatraz. Uh, 
uh, on Alcatraz. Well, where are you going to have your game events? You're not going to have them, you know, in Los Angeles. They did. There was yeah. Sega did a lot of stuff like that because their Game Gear uh, launch event. I think it was on an aircraft carrier or something. Hmm. Anyway, well, but well, we'll see. And uh, final last piece of programming news is a uh, huge increase of content is coming for the Patreon supporters because, and you guys will see a little bit more about this as we we get into the next week. But um, now that I'm, I'm about a week away from officially, or as two weeks away from departing from my job, I got my trip to Japan, and then I'm kind of going to be uh, pretty much on my own in terms of bringing in uh, bringing in money from other revenue sources. So uh, I would really love to see if we can get a big increase in the Patreon support in. To back that up, uh, three things in particular you're going to see, and these aren't uh, these are these might change a little bit, but the things that are for sure are back in my replay, which is going to be revisiting old games that were covered on the show, but with different guests hmm. or potentially taking different angles at those. Because I know there's some great games, especially like I mean, think about those first 13 episodes or 12 episodes before we even had Greg or CJ on the show, like. We could go back and check out some of those games and talk about them again, which is actually very exciting for me. Can I can I come on and talk about more Nintendo games? You totally can. I mean, and me too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we got lots of. I mean, I would like. I've been looking at my list. I have a list over there of to do stuff, and like what keeps popping back in my head though is Journey to Silius. Like, I want to go and play through Journey to Silius again, and. You guys haven't had a chance to talk about that, and we've had some other people that have been recurring guests on the show that I would love to have talk about some games and some subjects. Like, we could totally revisit SegaNet, and we could revisit more Dreamcast stuff, and we can revisit things to do with the the Sega Saturn and the the Turbo Graphics. Like, there are lots of great things to cover, and again, take different angles at and cover uh, again. And those are going to be uh, at the start exclusive to patreon supporters i'm going to do one of those per month so it'll be like getting a a bonus episode the goal is to shoot for about 30 to 45 minutes so it's not like we're not going to do the history we're not going to do like we're just gonna you know talk about these games uh again and revisit them uh one more time to just talk about great games uh for the for that bonus episode uh the other thing that people that are seeing right now we got about eight people watching is the live stream of the show will now be exclusive to patrons and then i'm going to do my best and i'm going to see how long it takes to do this but my goal is to edit these videos together with the transitions of what you would get from the regular podcast but also have uh, articles and pieces of imagery and video that is applicable to our discussions so it is not like you guys know on podcasts when you say like, yeah, for the people that are watching, um, this will be, you know, for the people that can actually, you know, come back and, and watch one more time. So we'll see how that goes. That is the the goal. But the shows will now be broadcasted live, if possible, due to the uh, the restrictions of the guest technology. And then finally is going to be another monthly show, which will be just a hangout and chat with the audience that will include myself and one other person with pretty much no agenda, just to hang out and talk about whatever the people in the chat want to talk about and even look at bringing on some members, the Patreon members, to like, hey, like if you want to talk, 
hey, I'm going to send you an invite so you can join the hangout and you can talk with us for you know, five minutes or something like that or 10 minutes and see where the discussion goes. If you come on and make fart noises, I'll probably drop you from the call. But if you come on and have some good discussions, I would love that because some of the best parts of doing any of the podcasts that I do are the guest interactions at live events. And CJ, you're going to get to experience that in just, what, three short weeks at PAX? That's right. It's fantastic. Love it. And Greg, you're going to be going to PAX too, right? No, I'm going to GDC, not PAX. Are those back-to-back weeks again? Uh, not back-to-back. Close. Well, very close. There's like a week in between. Okay. Uh, well, if you're at GDC or at PAX, say hi to your favorite Player One podcast host. All right, so that's where we're going to pause for right now because – I was not only able to find a really good, clean rip of the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening soundtrack, I found it in FLAC, uncompressed FLAC Game Boy files from the original programmed chiptunes. Like, I forget what they're actually called. I should pull it up. Um, But the actual files that were used for the, the GBS files. So if you want to like load these up in an emulator, you can actually listen to the soundtrack like super clean from the emulator. But that's what you're hearing in this episode. So thank you to the internet and diehard Link's Awakening fans for making that possible. So stick around. We'll be right back with that. history of the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, and I found this history to be super fascinating, but we're going to try to run through some of the bullet points quickly to get into the, some uh, some of the more interesting anecdotes for this video game. Of course, it was published by Nintendo and developed by the A-Team, Nintendo EAD. Uh, the director was Takashi uh, Tezuka, um, who was basically like Nintendo royalty. Uh, he directed some of the best Nintendo games ever, uh, including the original Zelda, Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario World, and also a producer on many uh, Nint- of Nintendo's main titles in the last 15 years. You have seen him in uh, actual like recent Nintendo videos, I believe in the Yoshi Woolly World video uh, as well. Uh, Yoshiaki uh, Koizumi... Uh, was the writer and designer of the game and was in charge of the game's story and conceived major plot points such as the Dream World Island setting. Uh, the programmer, uh, Kazuake Morita, I think I'm doing pretty good on these names this time, <laughs> the live audience, uh, started the prototype uh, on the very first Game Boy dev kits and he did this completely unsanctioned. Like These are some of the best, like, some of the best games that were produced in Nintendo's history are from after hours development, like doing it off hours, unsanctioned, saying like, hey, we just really want to see if we can make this work. And that's how you get to try to make a Zelda game on the Game Boy hardware. Mm-hmm. The game Plus, was you know really- that, that oh, sorry, uh, writer-designer, Yoshiaki Koizumi, you know uh, what he's doing now, right? He's, uh, Splatoon, uh, right? 
he's in charge of everything switch oh that's right oh yeah yeah that's right he also uh was was he's a producer on what you switch right uh something like that yeah or designer uh one of the yeah. two uh he's been at nintendo a long time yes <laughs> long I mean, long time well, that's that's always a, an interesting discussion. Is like I know there's a lot of people that are really excited for the young blood at Nintendo, which we're definitely seeing the the fruits of of that recently. Um, but it is still great that these you know men and women that have been there for for years uh, in the video game industry, especially in Japan, are just continuing to like put out classics. Uh, it is really great yeah. to see that. This game was released in Japan in June 1993 under the name The Legend of Zelda Dream Island, which I think is a way better name than uh, Link's Awakening, but most Japanese the, names get, are... The whole thing in the U.S. is they were trying to get the word Link into all the titles, right? So Yeah. Great point. Thank you for bringing that up. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought of that. Uh, in North America, it was released in August 1993. Oh, man, summer games were so great. Mm. Link's Awakening began as a port of the Super NES title, The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, and was developed after hours by Nintendo staff, as I mentioned before. It grew into an original project under the direction of Takashi uh, Tezuka with a story and script created by, yeah, and I've already mentioned that, so that happens sometimes. Uh, The cool thing about this, and I didn't realize this, and maybe it was like on the back of the box because I didn't save, like, I wasn't one of those crazy people that saved their Game Boy boxes. Like, they went in the trash once I got the cart because I'm, I guess, somewhat short-sighted. This game actually is somewhat of a direct sequel to The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. It actually involves the same Link from uh, Link to the Past, which is, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool for the people that, like, like the Zelda... You know, historious Hyrule Historia stuff that are obsessed with timelines, uh, and it is something that is mentioned specifically in the fantastic. And this is something that we'll probably talk about uh, a lot in the show. The fantastic, the Legends of the Link's Awakening official Nintendo Player's Guide. When Nintendo just made, and I don't, I wonder if it's. I'm gonna guess. I'm wondering if it's the same team as the Nintendo Power Team, but they just made the absolute best guides that were completely unparalleled in quality and in writing uh, yeah. for the time. And even just, you know, going back and looking at the this guide for this episode, it's just like, oh my God, this is so good. There's so many, so much extra information in there that you would never get in the story of the game itself. It is almost, it's very much almost a required companion piece for this game. Uh, so, this game is super weird. Obviously, it takes place in a dream world, which allowed Nintendo the the liberties and the de- designers the liberties to make this game super duper weird. It is very much not necessarily like a complete uh, similarity to Super Mario Brothers 2 here in the US, but they were able to do things like have a bunch of characters from the Super Mario Brothers series, including Yoshi, Goombas, Piranha Plants, uh, Warts even in the game, and no, the the fish from uh, the Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario World games are in there. Kirby's in there. Doctor Wright from Sim City on the Super Nintendo <laughs> is in there. Like they chain just chomps, at, chain chomps yeah. are 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 in there. Like are pivotal characters in this universe. So it is it is almost like I, I almost would I would love to get not in a wada ass, but. This is something that I, I want to talk about later in the show, but I think it's worth bringing up right now is 
this game absolutely needs it is it is very much up there with Metroid 2 as a game that needs a Nintendo sanctioned and developed uh remake mm. due to huh. the limitations of the controls but also how how almost integral it is to uh like the developers that made it, like you could just see how much love was put into this game from starting development uns- mm. unsanctioned in the after hours uh, into doing all the weird fourth wall breaking stuff. Like when the characters are saying like, yeah, like I don't know what this is, but if you hold BA start and select, like you can save your game. I don't know why you would <laughs> need that, but just in case like here, you can take that. Um, and then, this game also got a re-release on the Game Boy Color, now very much like Tetris with uh, The Legends of the Link's Awakening DX, which came out in December 1998. It had an exclusive color dungeon, but really the the big seller for me, aside from the color graphics, as a owner of this accessory was the Game Boy printer support. You could actually take, uh, like, not there, there were actually images and, like, uh, graphics from the game that you could go to the photo hut and print out on your you know, heat paper Game Boy printer, which is just like incredible, which I'm sure we're going to talk about when we get further into the discussion. The The weird thing about this, and maybe it's not so weird because that is like for us that are the hardcore gamers, like we look upon the Legend of Zelda series of games as some of the best things Nintendo has ever produced. But when you look at the numbers, they're not always the the best sellers. This game on one of the best-selling pieces of hardware of all time uh, only sold just over 6 million units. And this is, of course, across the original version and the DX version. So even when we they re-released it, not like the Game Boy Color was you know, a super big seller, but it was popular enough to you know potentially warrant you know selling a bunch of copies of the dx version of this game but you know we got it we love it and more people get to explore it on the uh virtual console i have a i have a thought on that and i I think because i think one of the reasons would have been because this game actually came out in kind of a kind of a dead zone i think Mm. for the game boy because it came out in 93 so the game boy was four years old at that point Mm -hmm. um and, and a Poke- year after Link Link to the Past, so people right. might and have Pokemon, had some Zelda fatigue. Pokemon didn't hit the Game Boy for another what three years after that, two or three 97. years, ninety six yeah. or ninety seven, right? So I mean, that was probably, I mean, the Game Boy was always really successful, but that was probably in a real major valley mm-hmm. in the Game Boy's popularity right around the time that this game came out, right? Because um, yeah. then it just took off with Pokemon, and then suddenly it's like one of the longest running platforms in history. So. Yeah, and I and I will correct this just for the record, real quick. Um, it was 1998 that Pokemon Red and Blue came out in the states because I hate listening to podcasts where they're way off on dates. And <laughs> but it was but, way earlier in Japan. In Japan, it was 96. It was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't know. Is is Mark McDonald on this show? Because <laughs> just he saying. like he like wrote the guide on that like in 96. But um, you know, we us Americans in the the North Americas and the Western hemisphere play this thing in 98 and we didn't even get green we just got red and blue anyways well we, um, did, get, we did get green but it was, it was called blue yeah i know but the green <laughs> cart looks so much cooler when you look at those <laughs> bins and the trader in japan um mm. so one, one of the big uh 
you know, piece of this release was also it lined up perfectly with the 50th issue of Nintendo Power, which was a which was really cool. Like the Nintendo <coughs> Power 50th and 100th issues were both really well put together, and it was uh, something that we will talk quite a bit about in the next segment uh, on on my end of things. But I recommend you go and, and look up that cover. It is just an incredible like pinnacle of Nintendo Power covers. It is just uh, really fantastic. It's a nice little gold. Good luck. Um, hmm. You guys, do you have any other pieces on the history of this game, or should we just get in our phone booth and go to 1993? We should get in our phone booth. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Here's some more just super crisp and clean music from The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Nothing like it sounded with those included earbuds on your original <laughs> Game Boy. Or out of that mono speaker. Or out of that mono speaker. Come on, man. This is stereo. We got to make sure that we listen to it the way it was meant to be. So stick around. We'll be right back. back to 1993 we're just getting into the heat of the super nintendo and the game boy it's not going through a malaise greg it's just getting some of the hottest hits of all time and that includes the legend of zelda links awakening so we mentioned it in the previous segment but this game was coming out a year after link to the past like it was just literally getting a, a very much like a portable link to the past. They, they did a very good job trying to hit that goal that they set for themselves. But I don't want to talk about this first because I kind of have a lot to talk about. I have a very weird history with this game. Uh, so I'd love to hear uh, what Greg was doing because I kind of figured at this point he was just doing nothing but watching sports <laughs> and live TV on his game gear. You're going to be so disappointed in me. Um, I never had a Game Gear. I want to put that out, point that out right away. Um, but <clears throat> unfortunately for this show, I didn't have a Game Boy at this point. I had <laughs> sold my Game Boy by 93. Why? Um, to buy my Genesis. I When I got the Game Boy, it was, I got it in 89. And I was like really hardcore into it. I think over the span of like two or three years, I... I collected something like 30 plus games which considering i was in my early teens at the time it's not like that was an easy thing to do mm. um and then i decided i wanted a genesis in 91 and i sold everything about a genesis but i do remember i did get to play it a little bit and my main memory of it in 93 was how supremely impressed i was by the fact that I was playing what looked like a black and white Link to the Past on a Game Boy, which I didn't feel like that should have been possible. I mean, it, you know, it was it was clear to look at it that it wasn't that it, it wasn't as advanced. But I just 
the the art style translated really well to the Game Boy screen, like surprisingly so. And even playing it now, which we'll talk about later, but it was surprising how well it translated. The other thing that I remember, though, is that from the beginning of that game, for some reason, just being completely lost. Yes. I don't know. There's something about this game. It's really easy to lose your way in this game. I am right there with you. Yeah. And I just so I didn't go very far in this game when it was new, and then my my real experience with it uh, when it was you know a, a contemporary game was in '98. I bought it when I got my when I when the Game Boy Color came out. That's when I got back into Game Boy, and Did I bought all three or Indigo, Indigo. Oh, Indigo, all the way. Solid, big Not fan, clear. big fan. Yep. Not Atomic Purple. All right, man. Nope. That's okay. Um, but it was I grabbed all three. The three remember they were the three DX games, right? Tetris, Mario. Mario. And, and uh, Zelda, so that's Zelda I was, it was in Zelda was a little bit later though than the was other it? two. I believe it was maybe. Either way, it was ninety eight when it came I, out. I traded so. in my my Game Boy camera to get this game. Nice. Hmm. I still kept the printer though because you know I was pr- printing that well, stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, <laughs> got to. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, yeah, but again, same thing. Super impressed by it. I loved the Game Boy Color. Loved the Game Boy Color. Still one of my favorite handhelds ever. Um and loved how this game looked on the Game Boy Color. Get that whole extra dungeon with the color puzzles, and I still found it really confusing as hell. Constantly getting lost. I think I probably finished it. I can't remember, but constantly getting lost in this game. CJ, did you? Uh, was this like part of your, you know, Nintendo package days? Did, was Nintendo sending you pre-release copies of Link's Awakening for your newsletter? They did not know, uh, but I did. I did buy it, and uh, I didn't get very far. Just like Greg said, uh, but I, I was 16 years old at the time, and Game Boy was like a baby's toy. So <laughs> put it right next to the Zapper and your uh, Nintendo versus cabs. That's right. Yeah, I def. I got lost, and I couldn't figure out what to do next, and I just put it down and never came back to it. But I did also buy the Game Boy Color version because I was like, oh, you know, people keep saying how great this game is, and I've never finished it, so I should go ahead and do that, and now it's in color. So I, I bought that. Uh, love the Game Boy Color. I have a, a, an Indigo system as well. I bought the Japanese version of the system. Uh, at launch and bought it with the the Wario game that it came out with and also never finished uh, Link's Awakening DX (laughs) on the Game Boy Color. I think I think that's a really good point actually. I didn't I hadn't thought about that and I hadn't really done the math in my head. But yeah in ninety three I was seventeen years old. Um which I'm sure contributed to the whole like you know not saying Game Boy's a baby system but yeah it definitely didn't have the cool factor at that yeah. point, right? Like, I mean, you're talking about, I was all about Super Nintendo and Genesis and Sega CD and everything at that point. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, a lot of my friends also had gone on to the color portables, like mm-hmm. uh, Lynx and Game mm-hmm. Gear. So yeah, I had a Lynx at the time. The, uh, the black and white, you know, I didn't really want to play a portable system at home. I didn't really see a need to. So, yeah, I kind of missed out on it the first time. Even though I, I bought it, I got lost and put it down, never touched it again. Yeah. Well, in 1993, I was seven. I hate you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, this was, and, and I, I don't necessarily, for some reason, like I have a little bit of a washy memory at this time period because 
I remember specifically the Christmas that I got Link to the Past because it was the magical Christmas. Just gonna where use that exact term. It was huh. it was totally a magical Christmas where yeah. my my parents just got divorced and it was all right. We're just loading up the the credit cards. The Mastercard is going to be full and <laughs> time to buy Kevin's love. But they, they totally they dude, It was either that or send me to a therapist and they put me in a room with a Super Nintendo and a brand new Game Gear. And I was just on like Game Gear with the external battery pack. Like I was ready for oh, travel. Son. So I was good to go. Um, and I, I believe I got Link's Awakening. No, it must have. It was before I got Link to the Past. So hmm. I got Link's Awakening. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I tried backwards. Probably I, for the best. Yeah. Perhaps, but I mean, I had played Link to the Past at my friend Jeff's house. Um, but the the thing was that I got my money for my first communion. I had like the money in hand. We went to a Sears. I was looking through the glass of the counter at Link to the Past because I don't know if you remember, Sears used to have the games under glass and like counters. Like they just have like mm-hmm. a dozen games or something like that. And yep, I went in there with my money and we're whole, whole families there. Like I'm looking at my, my dad and be like, that's, I just got first communion. Like I earned this. I <laughs> through a ceremony. I earned this. I earned <laughs> Jesus would God want me to have this. I earned this. So <laughs> I need to get this game that I've been kind of asking for forever. And they, my parents say like, I, I remember this specifically where my dad was like, all right, yeah, sure. And then when my, Mom and my dad talked about it. They're like, no, you have to buy a bike because we're not buying you a bike. So I got a 10-speed Huffy bike instead of Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, which is absolute BS. I eventually got – well, again, they got divorced, and then that's when they got me the game. So um, things work out. (laughs) Things work out. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) My home was broken, but I had had Link's Awakening. It it worked out for – trust me, it worked out for them too. I I know. The uh, the thing that happened was I got Link's Awakening because it was cheaper. It was a portable game, and I believe I got it for for my uh, what, what I must I must have got it for Christmas '93. That actually does sound super right. And I got stuck at the second dungeon, level two, because like you guys mentioned, this game is it's almost impossible to beat without a guide or without unlimited time to play through this game and to yes. like get to a certain point of the game and then go to every possible square that you can go to talk yeah. to everyone again, yep. go into every building again. Like, and that's how you kind of figure out where to go because like you do have the telephones to figure out where to go next, which are useful. But what happened to me is I was no, in the second. No, they're not. They're okay. not useful. Depending on what you have coming next, like it will say, like you need to go look for, uh, you know, a waterfall or something like that. Which, mm. whatever. So, I got to the second level, and there is a certain part of the level, and the when you get the compass, the compass has a new feature, you know, mm-hmm. like what we're getting with the Zelda DLC on the map. You're going to be able to hear when there is a key or something special in a room. Once you get into it, you're like, dun dun dun, and. There's this room with three enemies in it, three completely different enemies. Uh, it's like a, a bat, uh, a blob thing, and um, you know something else. I forget what that three enemies are. And you got to kill them in a certain order. Yes. To 
unlock the stairs to get downstairs, but I did not know that. There was nothing that told me right. that that's what I needed to do. So like, I was like, all right, there's like a random room. I kill everything in there. Nothing happened. So I would go into a different room. I went out. Like it literally, I spent months trying to figure out how to beat this dungeon um, yeah. because the, the problem with that happened is, and Greg, you'll find this funny, in the divorce we moved a bunch of stuff. Like my dad got a place, my mom got a place. We boxed up a bunch of stuff. And somehow in that transition, issue 50 of Nintendo Power was <laughs> gone. So like there oh. potentially was, there, there were answers to this situation in that issue of the magazine. But it was it was gone. It was part of the broken marriage. So I pleaded with my dad. And my dad was the guy like, my mom, uh, again, my parents are fantastic, but like if I wanted to get something, like I would have a much better chance with my dad than with my mom. And my dad is very, I'll say, frugal with his money. So uh, again, I remember living in this apartment after they divorced. Like my mom moved into kind of like an apartment complex and where we were living, I remember sitting on the steps having this conversation with my dad, like, Look at this back issue of Nintendo Power that I have. There is a um, guide for this game that's in there, but it's like $20. Can you write a check, $20 plus like $4 shipping and handling, excuse me, so I can get this guide and finish this game that you guys bought me? Like, I can't beat it unless you guys get me this guide. And $20 might as well be a million dollars, especially after your parents divorce and there's like financial stuff going on. And we were not well off. Um, so I had to wait and you guys might remember this. I had to wait until Nintendo power was getting ready to be renewed because when you renewed Nintendo power back then, you got a free game guide. Oh, nice. Right. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? So yeah, yeah. I remember that. I had to wait <clears throat> months because he was like, well, you can get it free when you renew. So, Eventually, what we did is I called 1-800-255-3700, and we talked to the Nintendo Power Specialists. And the deal that we worked out is they were able to, instead of waiting until my subscription expired and not having to start like a double subscription, is they were able to add on 12 issues to my remaining like five issues of it. So I got it a little bit early, but... I ended up getting that guide, but then I got a Game Gear. I got linked to, <laughs> linked to the past. No, like for real. Like what happened was I got linked to the past, which was like it's the far superior Legend of Zelda adventure. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and again, even with the guide, like the game for me was not as as fun back then. And we'll talk about it later in the next segment, but. I, I've always been confused by why this is the best Zelda game in some people's minds. I can only guess that it is because they go to Zelda not necessarily for the story or for the adventure or for the action and combat, the boss battles. They go to it for the puzzles because this game is so heavy on the puzzles, I can only presume, to extend the you know, to hit that hour mark that they set out for. Like, we're making a portable game. The world can't be as big, although it is big and it's rather dense. They're trying to extend that time as much as possible by making you need to trade dog food for bananas and then bananas for, you know, uh, honey. And, you know, you know, going through this, 
like weird setup. And then you get to kind of a roadblock and you get to the roadblock and you just get to go everywhere in the game, yeah. talk to everyone again. You guys, I, I am not kidding <laughs> when I say I literally had every, every, like there's 20 squares in each section of the map where I dug up every possible section of that map when I got stuck on stuff. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it was kind of, kind of insane, but, um, I will say you guys didn't bring this up, but I did it in that game and I did it in the replay for this game, but it was super cool. And this was a Nintendo power thing. This was in the players, uh, in the, uh, was it the counselor section or is it the top secret Counselor's section? Corner. Counselor's oh, corner. Secret, yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't one of the two where they taught you how to steal, um, steal from the 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 main shop where, like, what? It's, yeah, you know about this, right? I didn't know this. CJ, tell him about it. I didn't know about this until this playthrough. No way. Actually, Are you no, I didn't know okay. about it until like reading a walkthrough. Yeah, because I don't. No it's idea. Not in, it's not in the the player's guide, but. Um, this was one of the. If it wasn't from Top Secret, it was a playground. Like friend telling me, I'm dead serious. Like yeah. that's that's the only two ways that I would have known about it because I wouldn't have tried to do it myself. Because, you know, although I did steal a copy of Primal Rage from a BJ's as a kid, but I was such a good kid, and I was so torn up about it. I told my parents that I stole it, and I brought the game back and returned it to to BJ's. It's a kind of what's that thing that you have? Um, conscious, conscious that I had, mm. um, but <laughs> I stole from this son of a bitch because when you steal, he's not like, yeah, you should bring it back to BJ's. He he uses magic and kills you. Like yeah. he has shopkeeper magic, murders you, <laughs> and the only real penalty is you die. So you have that on your save file, and then you know, God, you know, everyone just calls you a thief for the rest of the game. Like even Marin, who's like in love with you, is saying like, "I hope you can get to know me a little bit better, thief." <laughs> and <laughs> maybe well, maybe that's why she loves you. Maybe she likes the bad boys. It sounded so totally. terse like that because when you put English words into the Game Boy graphics, like you can only use like 140 <laughs> characters, so they really had to cut it. Caps. Down. It was the and Twitter italics. of 1993. That's right. Yeah, Game Boy totally was Game Boy writing was on Twitter in 1993, um, but you know I've been called worse. Like it's not a big deal, um, and if, if that's what it takes to not have to find 970 rupees to get a bow and arrow, then that's that's what I'm gonna yeah. do, guys. 980 rupees, by the way. I wrote it down. Ridiculous. When I ran into it. This game, <sighs> and that rupees mean so nothing for the rest of the game. Because yeah, they yeah. Do have 999 for the rest of the game. Yeah, this game is very frustrating. I'll just say that. Weird. They do. Okay. Well, yeah, we can talk about that in the next segment. I, yeah, I hope we'll, we got some fans in the chat because <laughs> I want some positive impressions of. Because this oh, is. I don't. I don't want to. I didn't want to make it sound like I didn't like this. By the way, I, I just, really enjoyed yeah. it too. There. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I just find that I found back then, and I found it was one of those situations. Like, and I know we'll talk about this more in the next segment, but it's one of those situations going into it where it's like when I was a kid. I'm saying when I was a kid. Thinking back on it now, I was 17 years old, but. You know, it's like, well, maybe I just didn't get this or something, mm. right? But then playing it again, it's like, no, I really just don't know where the hell I'm supposed to go next. It's it's very ambiguous with 
things and the owl doesn't always pop up in the right places. Like you almost need to like exit the 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 previous dungeon in the 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 right direction for the mm-hmm. owl to pop up and say like, hey, like you know what you should do is go check out, look for a desert. That's what you should be doing right now. It's like, all right, but before I do that, you you don't understand. Like, I don't have the things that I need to give to the person that is in the desert to get them to, you know, give me the key or or whatever or and stuff like that. So the the other thing that really struck me back back in the day too is that um, as much as it resembled um, CJ's gone all orange again. I have as much as much as it resembled um, Link to the Past visually. There's a lot of stuff in there that just doesn't feel like Zelda, and I don't I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but it definitely has its own you can jump. feel. Well, the thing you about could it jump, is that was new, and then also things like sorry, but just also things like um, getting the acorn or the piece of power, and and having like it's very arcadey, yeah, you know, and even having everything like level one and level two, and yeah, it's just it's a it's a very no, that's that's actually odd that's, thing. That is a. That's the construct of the original Legend of Zelda game where they didn't do that in Link to the Past. But, you know, when you go into a dungeon, it doesn't say, you know, the the ice dungeon or something like that. It says level two. It's level I suppose, three. yeah. It just, I just, I guess for me it wasn't, yeah. I think they were just playing around with what they could do with Zelda. Yeah. And it they feels came up with all these, like, different ideas of things they could do with the, with the Game Boy hardware. And... Yep the series conventions weren't really all that established because, I mean, you have the original Legend of Zelda and Zelda 2 is completely different. Uh, Link to the Past kind of goes back to that top-down look. Like, they were still establishing things at this mm-hmm. point. I so, think it's very, very prototypical of yeah. what they did with Majora's Mask as well. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, right? It's like, let's take this, take, let's take our previous game and just experiment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I the other thing that I wanted to to mention, I, I didn't know if I was going to do it in this segment or in in the next segment. Actually, two things. One, I, I I can't tell you how many times I watched that cinematic opening for the game, which blew was me also away. very cool back in the day. Yep, that it, was not common back then. It was like watching, it was like you know on the the Game Boy Advance when they released those carts with like TV shows on them. Like I felt like I was watching a movie on my my Game Boy Color, watching a cartoon take place on the Game Boy Color. It was very cinematic. It was something that I really had not seen maybe to that extent in a in a game before. I guess like Ninja Gaiden and stuff, but still it was it was it was really cool to to see in that. And also we mentioned frustrations and this is something that was you know, frustrating playing through it again, but I think it's worth mentioning here because it happened back then too, is it is the epitome of the Legend of Zelda telling you stuff over and over and over and over and over again. If you don't have your power bracelet equipped and you go and walk up to something that you're supposed to pick it up with, say, oh, this is too heavy. If I only had, you know, the ability to to pick this up or those jagged rocks that you get to use the Pegasus boots for. Yeah, this is like uh, uh, kind of fragile. If there was only a way I could tackle this situation um, <laughs> and like you're just hammering the button to get through this, 
this thing. And you, break, Greg, I thought about this when you mentioned the acorn and the the piece of power. Mm-hmm. Like it tells you it every single time to the point where there were times where I wouldn't pick those up because I'm like, no, I'm going. Like I don't need that <laughs> stuff right now. I'm because yeah. I'm gonna have to hammer through. I don't have the time to read three tweets. Yeah, I don't have I don't have three tweets like like the the failing piece of power. I don't need the the worst uh, acorn. I just Plus, need, you don't have to deal with the music that they play throughout that. You can listen to the actual music of the game. Great. Well, the the, the yeah. cool thing that you can do to get around that is to just go into a different area where the music will yeah. be set. Oh. Um, pro tip. Counselor's <laughs> Corner. Um, so <laughs> I, I think we have a lot more to talk about, but... It is. It is actually really cool to hear your guys' history with this with this game. I actually did. I, I apologize for for going on a little bit more, but this was like Zelda is is pretty much my my favorite series. So of course I picked it up uh, on the Game Boy Color with the DX version, and I actually played this game. This is a fantastic Super Game Boy game. If you do have a Super Game Boy and you have this cart, it is the absolute best way to play this game today. If you don't have a 3DS, so. I would uh, recommend doing that or, or if you want to play it on a PC because it looks really good blown up on the screen and it also has a custom Super Game Boy border that you can uh, be rocking while you're while you're playing this this game. Uh, I think that is that is it. Like I said, we got a lot more to talk about. So let's take a quick break and then we will be right back with more Link's Awakening. So 2017, we are loading up, if not our Super Game Boys, most likely our Nintendo 3DSs with its shallow but high-quality virtual console lineup for the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color. At least that's how I played it. And it's it's a game that probably is a little bit easier to go back to as you have aged. And um, I will also say maybe the, the, the one negative about it is that we live in a world of short attention spans and when you need to kind of like why the hell am I supposed to go next it's definitely a game guide or a guide <laughs> game yeah. I will say yeah. uh, but but Greg you know what what are your thoughts on on this game how do you how do you like to play Link's Awakening did you pull out your your Game Boy Color and throw in a fresh pair of that was yeah that was double A batteries yeah no I didn't actually although I, I kind of wish that I had I I had I actually got this on uh, my 3DS. Your worm light? Yeah. My worm light. God. Um, I did have one of those. was not as good as the wide boy, but not the wide boy. Was it called the light boy? Light boy, yeah. Light um, boy, yeah. No, I played it on the 3DS, um, which, of course, I had to play with that Game Boy frame because the 3DS, they stretch uh, Game Boy games uh, to fit the screen otherwise, and they're all soft and yucky looking. Um, yeah, I got over that pretty quickly, though. I I, I was surprised at how... You know, if you if you're looking at something after a while, you just kind of get used to how it looks. Get used to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that struck me about it, and this is such a weird thing to, to <laughs> such a weird thing, but 
<clears throat> I you know you're playing or so used to like a 3ds you're playing the 3ds and it's got what like six four face buttons and sh- yeah four shoulder yeah. buttons and start select and it's like when you get to it's like oh by the way if you want to save your game press every button at the same time like, the <laughs> interface for some of the sort of administrative stuff in in uh, Link's Awakening back in the day was funny because of course you only had start select a b mm-hmm. and it's like you know even when you go into the different sub screens it's like when you press start well if you hold select that brings up another sub screen or if you press select you go to the the, the map and then yeah if you want to save you actually have to hold every button on the system to to actually save your game and you can only save and quit when you do that otherwise you only get asked to save if and when you die mm-hmm. this just kind of kind of struck me as a wow like makes sense because there were such limited buttons on the thing, but and it's no. scary because for some games, like when you hit all the buttons, it doesn't save it; like it resets. The resets. Game. resets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but no, otherwise, I mean, really, my my reaction to the game was pretty much like it was back in the day, which is I really like the way it plays. It it, it controls really nicely. I'm super impressed by even today by how the visuals translated from the Super Nintendo to the 8-bit Game Boy. Um, and just confusing as hell to play. Mm. Like, just, you know, yeah. once you get past going back to the beach and you get that sword, and then you go back, even getting to the, the first dungeon after that is just like, just go into the woods and find this key. It's like, but I can't. I don't wear, like, what? And this stupid raccoon screws up my, like, yeah, you, you know... You got to either go uh, to the, uh, what, what was it called? Oh my God, why am I blanking on the the name of the game with the claw game? The claw game? And it's like a really. Oh, oh yeah, like the gotcha. Yeah. Or no, UFO catcher type thing or. Yeah, but it has, uh, chat, help me out. There's a, there's a weird name. It's something like something game. It is on, uh, like, like happy game or something like that. But sorry. Anyway, yeah. I mean like, you know, cause, cause. All all the game really tells you is you got to go to the forest to get this key. But really what the quest is is to go in and find this mushroom and then find the witch and get her to turn into powder and then go to the raccoon and, and drug him with the powder. And then you can get to where you need to get just to get the key. And then you still need to go find the dungeon. Trendy game. To start. Trendy game. I, I remember it before game. the chat. That's what it was. I'm just for the record. Um, you had to go in there to get the Yoshi doll. But anyway, um, yeah, it just it, – it struck me as like – not yeah it was just obtuse i guess it just it just didn't help you out but again you got to kind of put yourself in that mindset right because it's like we're talking about the early 90s a lot of games didn't help you out back then you know like there was a lot of there were a lot of different rpgs maybe this was on the the tail end of that sort of thing but there were a lot of different rpgs and adventure games from like the late 80s and the very early 90s where they didn't really tell you what you were supposed to be doing sometimes i mean look at like something like simon's quest you know go pray at the cliff to how many people sent me messages after that episode that I was being harsh on that game? Sorry, guys. No, it's, I mean, it was confusing as hell. One of the other things that I really loved, I have to say, though, is um, the text. I mean, it was, it's very basic, but I love the fourth wall breaking, and I love the little touches, like like when you get Yoshi, and it says, yeah, he's been popping up everywhere lately. And Well, it feels uh, like like Nintendo Treehouse mm, of today, almost. It, that's exactly what I was going to say. It feels Sorry. like the beginnings of something like that. The same thing, too, where the, you, you meet the father of all the little boys that are running around in town. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm, I forget his name. He's like, I'm the dad of all those kids. Uh, I'll, be lost in the, I'll be lost in the hills later in the game. See yep. you then, or something like yeah. that, right? And it's like, 
<laughs> this is a nice little touch that you don't really expect. So I I like this game. I don't think I'd go out of my way to, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever finish it. Um, maybe now that we live in a world where game facts exists, sure. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I still enjoy it. Do you like uh, you like the point how there are only two buttons and you need to use some items together a lot, like the boots and the feather, and you're always doing like... I hate that. You're constantly going into the subscreen. Constantly. But see, I feel like when you're playing a game that's, what, like over 20 years old, 25 years old now? Well, that, and, well that's why I'm saying, like, this game absolutely is warranting a, a solid sure. a remake because... Again, they could fix up a lot of the uh, the issues with direction of the game and the the button layout and the ability to you know use the items that you need to have like always have the boots and the feather and the power bracelet like. Mm-hmm. But if they buttons, remade this game, they have to keep it weird. Yes, to be weird, and I think yeah, the frustration of having to switch buttons. Every other second, like I was in that sub menu all the time, that mm. is a huge frustration. But I think that's part of maybe why <laughs> that's part of the charm. It's because they crammed all that Zelda into two action buttons and start and select. Like <laughs> it's, it's a technical achievement. How good this game plays and looks on the Game Boy of 1989, and mm. yeah. Like that is that is like it it is just like especially when you get into the later dungeons like the 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 second like the face dungeon and um I forget what the last like the the last dungeon that's called before you go to the egg uh is the um I think it's the shadow temple no it's the eagle eagle tower like those dungeons are gigantic like the mm-hmm. the, the 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 layout is is huge and to to think that they crammed that on a Game Boy cartridge back in 1993, it w- like was insane for the time. Yeah. I um, yeah, but I agree with CJ. Got to keep it weird. Like even even things like where they added in those side-scrolling bits. Oh yeah, like you're in a dungeon and suddenly you're in the basement. It's like what? I'm playing a platformer. Like once you get the they're jumping on Goombas. the rock feather, yeah, yeah, and they're Goombas down there. Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> but um, but yeah, like. Super weird and super cool. I will say, and I want to. You mentioned this in the last segment, and I, I totally agree. Like, it is a big map for a Game Boy. It's a fairly big map, but man, does it ever feel claustrophobic! Like, I once you get past the opening section where you're in town, it's really hard to find a screen on the overworld. It feels like that yeah. isn't separated somehow. Like they really well, lock you off. Also, the overworld map. Just- is filled like, with pits and where the hell am and, I? Where the hell am I going on that zoomed out view? It's like yeah, I can't remember where that one screen that I have to get to. That's in why the you forest, get lost all the like time. Where <laughs> yeah. you guys yeah. don't, or you have okay. to go around in this very circuitous path, like up mm-hmm. and down. Yeah, yeah. You guys need to be playing with power and <laughs> get because when i played through this game again it was way better because i played it at this desk with the player's guide up at all times so the in the the player's guide itself which um i you know you should buy a copy if you can on ebay but the internet has tons of cool stuff in it if you need to <laughs> to track this stuff down 
And literally, you know, it was the big, uh, the biggest help was having the world map up at all times. Because like you guys said, like yeah. there's only one path to get to where you want to go. Like it is very confusing. And the in-game map is rather useless. Completely useless. Except for like seeing, oh, these are, uh, you know, it looks like a cemetery up here. Like it looks like this is um, a big lake over here. Like that's in the beaches at the bottom. Like that's really all you can make out of the the map itself. So just having the player's guide or, or a map in front of you that is pointing out to like what all the locations are with numbers and stuff like that is incredibly informative and, and vital to, I believe, to the the enjoyment of this game if you're coming to it fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I wish I'd had that while I was playing. But yeah, like you say, weird wacky it the, worth the, playing. But yeah, okay, sorry. I actually have a lot of stuff to to say about the 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 playthrough again, but um <laughs> CJ, like what like I know you played this a couple months ago at mm-hmm. at this point, but um like what what kind of feelings were you having going through the world of uh Koholan Island once again? Well, here's the big question in my head the entire time. Why is this like this? Like yeah, like the been, sorry, the puzzles, was, what, sorry, good. The puzzle where you have to read the signs and they point in a specific uh, like a different direction and you have to like do it yeah, in exactly the right order. Mhm. To get, I don't even know what it was. It's, uh, I think you go down a ladder and that's where you meet uh, Wart, where he sings the song or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then, so I did all that. I memorized that whole frigging pattern. And then it's like, you need 300 rupees for me to teach you the song. And I was like, you have got to be (laughs) shitting me. I had 999 at that point, so it was no problem. I did not nice. have 999, and I had to do it all over again, and that was uh, very frustrating indeed. Uh, the whole requiring enemies to be killed in a particular order, that was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, there's a one dungeon, it's the face shrine, where you have to throw objects into closed doors and they open. Mm-hmm. Completely breaking like what you... <laughs> what you uh, had been taught previously in the game and there's where there's no indicator of which walls are bombable like how would you even know that stuff you oh, just well, no, there's a way that you know they tell you how to know where to uh, bomb walls tap the walls you tap the walls with your your sword it's it, it uh, and like the as you go into it was either before the first or the second level where the you know you meet someone i think it is actually like the owl that tells you you know Oh, and you know what it is? It's it's one of those noses that you find in the dungeon when you put it up on the wall and you can actually listen to the guy on the wall. Yeah. That's who tells you, you know, to tap the walls and it will make a like a tink tink versus a clunk clunk. Well, maybe I missed that and I was also playing with the sound off for most of the time. But, <laughs> but yeah, dungeon just, music's uh, not the best. Just frustrating and the, the little jumps that you have to make and time like perfectly with the uh the boots and the feather to do your long jump uh yeah just kind of kind of ridiculous i mean i I like the design in the dungeons it's it's good for the most part um but this is just a weird game Mm -hmm. too weird oh and i will i will say again as a i'm not encouraging this i will just say that 
if you get the player's guide, read how good the friggin' writing is in this guide. Like, it is very much, again, it, it feels like Nintendo oh, Treehouse. Those guys were beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys I mean, are great. Beautiful, but like the, the writing is great. And actually, like, I was scanning through it again while you guys were talking. And um, there's a tricks of the trade section uh, with top secret strategies. And this is how my friend must have figured it out, or this might have been how I figured it out when I eventually got this guide. Was there is an act there, they actually tell you how to steal in the game. And for all these tricks of the trade, there's a fun faction meter for all these different things that you could do. Um, for example, they tell you how to get the birds to or the uh, the chickens to attack you by beating up a bunch of them, mm-hmm. and including the the you know stop thief and of course fun factor for that five out of five stars um, as you would expect. Uh, the shop in maybe village can be expensive. One way to get the items you need is to steal them, but if you try, you'd better be ready to suffer the consequences of being labeled a thief for the rest of the game. Which, you know, okay, it's no problem. Um, And also they tell you how to also quit the game after you buy something while, like, the rupees are being drained from your account. If you quit, save and quit, while it's being drained, you can save all those rupees. Are you serious? I want to say I knew that trick. Without being a thief. Yeah. Wow. Because you're basically stopping it from counting down. So you're, like, saving it while it's at, like, again, you have to get that bow and arrow for 980 rupees. If you save it while it's only taken 100 off, you can restart the game. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, fun factor, also five out of five stars because you're ripping off that guy. Plus, you don't get labeled a thief um, by everyone else in the game. Uh, There's also some really cool stuff like uh, the music maker thing. Uh, If you type in Zelda as your as your name you get different music which is cool huh. okay. oh that's cool i didn't know that i like that uh, yeah i was gonna say the music in this game too um like nothing I, I, it's good music um i for some reason love the fact that they uh use like a telephone ringing in those huts mm-hmm. yeah as part, of, as part of the tune i just dun, always dun, thought that was really cool dun, 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 dun. yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know why i just really love it, it made me smile every time hmm yeah, I, I I do like I still do like uh, a lot about this this game. The seashell thing kind of bugs me because I'm never a big fan of of collectibles. And actually, I wrote down a ton of stuff, but we don't mm. have to go through all these. But it is just more riffs off of how weird this this game is. It's like people <coughs> like Crazy Tracy um, that sells you potions. Um, it is the whole. Uh, trading sequence that you need to to go through. It's having Yoshi in the game. It's having all these Mario characters in the game. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, there are some really great things uh, about it. Especially the like the bosses and the mini bosses are very close to what you get in Link to the Past. Like they did a really good job of replicating some of my favorite boss battles. Like the sandworm mm-hmm. is like a mini boss in the world that you needed to defeat to get a key to one of the dungeons. There's um you know the the like all the all the bosses that you see in this game will be familiar to you if you're you've played whether it's Link to the Past, Link Between Worlds or the 3D Zelda games. There's bosses yep. that have been taken from all these games and brought into this game or even like the spiders from the original Zelda. It's just I don't know. It's it's almost like uh, what's what's I don't know the the 
it's just it's almost like a best of like a celebration of Zelda, but also having the liberty to be incredibly weird as they do it. So mm. I want to talk about the ending because the ending's super weird. Um, and it's it's Super Mario Brothers 2, right? So the thing that bums like I don't know if this ending is good or bad. <laughs> like I like like it's I don't mean like I like the ending or not. I don't know if it's a good ending or a bad ending to to leave it the way it does. Okay. Well, I never finished it. So. <laughs> I have no opinion because I don't know it. <laughs> okay, so well at the at the like the actual egg that you go into it, the you get a boss rush, guys. Welcome to video games oh, in the nineties. Boss rush. No, it's actually a cool boss rush because I mean, again, the boss battles Those in this two game terms are, don't belong together. No, no, they don't. No, but the the cool <laughs> thing about this, and I didn't realize this while playing the game, but I learned it in. Uh, the official player's guide for Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, is that these bosses are actually... um, Let me actually read this specifically. Um, So just when you thought you could finally meet the Windfish, up pop the evil shadows of Link's past battles. Ganon, uh, Aghanim, I can never pronounce that name right, and a giant gel, uh, just to name a few. So you're getting to fight all these boss battles that you've had in previous Zelda games is like shadows and nightmares of this link that is coming to you from a link to the past, which is, Hmm. I don't know. I just, I just found that super cool. And then again, what happens is like you, you potentially finishing this game may mean the end of this, this world, the, the end of the, the people that you have get gotten to know over the last, you know, 20 or 30 hours, or if you didn't have a guide, you know, 300 hours of this game, like it is, it's kind of melancholy, the feeling that you would get after playing this game. If you become attached to these characters, the only thing I can liken it to is if you, if you have a dream where you're kind of in, this might just be me, but I think we all have weird dreams. You know, having dreams where you're almost like in a parallel world with a different version of your parents or friends that you know, and you know that when you wake up, like they will not exist anymore. Like it is a very weird feeling. So I can only imagine that's kind of what the designers were and the writers were were pulling from is that that idea of when you wake from this dream, uh, this world is gone forever, um, and you can't you can't go back. Um, which I think is part of the reason why this game is so special to uh, many people out there. And Not should too- be remade just like Mario 2. It, yeah, I, 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 I would love to see this remade as a, a downloadable game or even to, if, if people can get as far as they did, like eight, AM2R is still sitting on my desktop. I there you think go. that mm, is yeah. fantastic. Um, yep. I if, wish they would embrace it. Yeah, it, yeah. Protect IP and such. You got to do what you got to do. But yeah, I, I understand it. I just wish they'd embrace it. Well, I just wish they would do it themselves. Give yeah, this do it to themselves. Some young kids, or give it to uh, you know some people to to fix up. So the, the other thing that I wanted to mention is in anecdotes of the looking up the history of this game. Like Miyamoto didn't contribute a lot to it until rather uh, pretty much like the second half of the game where he provided a bunch of notes while playing the game. He didn't necessarily work on it. He kind of play tested the game, 
which is interesting. Um, but I still am somewhat confused why not to invoke Shane Bettenhausen, but like this does get brought up as like the secret best Zelda game out there. And I'm still confused unless it is specifically because those fans just absolutely love the puzzles of this game or the world and the weirdness that uh, they get to explore. Has to be rose-colored glasses. Has to be. So it's a Zelda I mean, two. It is Zelda extremely different. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're somebody who's not crazy about the Zelda formula, I could see you saying that. I could, you know, like it's extremely different from what you got in a Zelda game back in the day. And I mean, I think it's it feels a lot the same way as people because people say that sort of thing about Majora's Mask as well. I really like Majora's Mask. I wouldn't call it like the secret best Zelda game either. But but if you're not crazy about what Zelda does, Majora's Mask did something so completely different that Mm. it matters. I I can't wait to talk about that game because I loved Majora's Mask. And I loved it because of how they they fixed some of the frustrations in that game, right? They they fixed some things with, with the timing and the cycles, I think that game is outstanding, and it's the 3DS version is... Uh, no, but I'm talking about the original Majora's Mask. I know. That's why I'm saying, like, they got to fix this game. Hmm. They got to put yeah. it back into R&D and clean it up a little bit. I think they could do it. They could definitely totally. do it. All right. Well, that is A Legend of Zelda, A Link's to the Past. Hopefully, you guys got all your Nightmare Keys. Link's and, Awakening. Uh, what did I say? Link, you to, said the Link to the Past. Yeah, it's basically the same game. Look at the cover. It's like the exact same <laughs> box art for the game. Um, I really like this game, and I think the boss battles are cool, and I think if you are going on a camping trip, this is the game to bring with you. If you got to get in the way, way back seat of your parent station wagon, and you're going to be facing cars. <laughs> facing the wrong way. Facing the wrong way, like <laughs> I was. Those the days. You, you're going to want to pack in this game because it's going to give you about as much fun as those AA batteries will provide you power. And hmm. you know, pack the extra battery pack. That thing was awesome. And pack a player's guide. Pack a player's guide. And I would recommend if you're listening to this now and you're like, oh, yeah, I totally want to play this. Or I've had it on my 3DS. Just It, it is so much more fun if you just have the player's guide there. If you get stuck, go right to the guide. Get as far as you can. Don't be afraid to go to the guide, and that way you will actually enjoy this game, and you won't find yourself being like, "Who the hell do I need to trade this like this honeycomb to? Who wants honeycomb? Yeah. I'm supposed to get a scale from a mermaid or something." You want a fun fact? Uh, in the Japanese version, you know what they use instead of a scale? What? Oh no! Instead of a instead of a necklace, you know the fisherman finds a necklace. I'm pretty sure sure I heard about this. Is it a brazier or something? It's a bra. Yeah, yeah. Because Japan. So because Japan. Because <laughs> Japan. All right. So uh, what we're gonna do is uh, that is gonna do it for this episode. We will have a bonus segment for Patreon. So if you guys have uh, stuff that you want to talk about in the chat, start queuing that up so we can chat about it for a little bit. If you have stuff that you want to discuss about this game or anything, we can we can do that right after the segment. But for everyone else that is leaving us, again, I mentioned before, I'm doing a really hard push to see if we can improve the Patreon support, and I'm going to be backing it up with some extra content so it is uh, an improved value for you. Uh, I'm still 
playing around with the exclusivity, whether it is fully exclusive or timed. I know we've had uh, some feedback from messages that I sent out that people would rather me just put everything in the feed so they don't need to subscribe to a different RSS feed or manually subscribe to an RSS feed. Um, but again, my my goal is to uh, improve the the contributions for the Patreon support. So again, you know, if you've thought about uh, supporting the show in the past, it would mean a lot to to me uh, and to the additional content support. And then uh, also another thing that I'll be producing while I'm in Japan is a uh, video blog of going through some game stores, going through some shopping and some cool things about Japan. Uh, and I'm going to shoot a bunch of video while I'm out there and hopefully produce, uh, you know, seven or 10 videos from, from that, depending on how my schedule goes. So thank you so much for, for everyone that does do that. Patreon.com slash back my play. CJ, people yeah, can huh. find you at super pack on Twitter. And of course, they can find you Sunday nights live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube while you're recording the Player One podcast. Is that correct? That is correct. YouTube.com slash P1 podcast. How much more can you talk about the Switch before it comes out? Oh, how, how long you got? All right. Anyways, <laughs> Greg, people can find you not only on the Player One podcast, not only at S-E-W-A-R-T Seward on Twitter, but uh, eventually they're going to probably see another episode of Generation 16. Eventually that will be the case, yes. Um, I am currently working on episode 19, and uh, yeah, if you want to learn about uh, 16-bit gaming in the 90s, it is Genesis-focused, but um, it's sort of grown to encapsulate sort of just the history of console gaming uh, in the 90s, so uh, please check that out. And while you're there at youtube.com slash generation 16, um, I've started doing some more one-off uh, review videos as well. Nice. Uh, so go check those out. See what you think. Send me your comments. Uh, like them. Share them. Tell your friends. Oh, I thought you were going to say like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> well, you can subscribe to the FitCast Network YouTube channel, which uh, people are going to be watching this on now. And I'm actually producing quite a bit of video content for that on many different subjects from home gyms to systemizing your backups to reviews of the Legend of Zelda 30th anniversary concert CD package and even a review of this fantastic little hoary 3DS game case. Look at it. It just pops up and then it clicks up and it's just very, it's a nice satisfactory click, which I'm sure we're also going to get from our Nintendo Switches in two weeks' time. So, dun, dun, dun. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it's very, very, God, we got, you guys, we're getting a new Nintendo console in 15 days. Exciting. It is. And a new Zelda. Even That's more the exciting. only thing I really care about. That's the only thing I care about about that console is, is Zelda, which is okay. Um, well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can check out backmyplay.com and fitcast.network to subscribe to the show and subscribe to other shows. And again, as I mentioned, patreon.com slash backmyplay. If you don't like Patreon, if you go to fitcast.network, there's a PayPal button on the right-hand side or the left-hand side. If you want to make a contribution through there on a per-monthly basis, I can also hook you up with that Patreon content. So I understand not everyone can use Patreon. So again, thank you so much to everyone that has listened to my pleas of support. And if you do take the time to go over there and check it out uh, even better. And also patreon.com slash P1 podcast and 
patreon.com slash generation 16 if you want to support other fantastic people that are also making content that takes quite a bit of time to produce. So thank you for doing that. Thank you.